0: Welcome to the Get Your Writing Done podcast. I'm Trevor Thrall, author of the 12-Week Year for Writers. If you enjoyed today's episode, please submit a review wherever you get your podcasts. That really helps. And for weekly updates on the podcast and other writing resources, you can subscribe to my newsletter at getyourwritingdone.com. Let me start by asking you a simple question. Why do you write? This question, so simple and unassuming and yet so profound, is the starting point for our conversation today about motivation. We all have good days and bad days. I'm sure we've all experienced some pretty high highs and some pretty low lows. But, you know, some people seem to have a higher baseline level of motivation than others. Some people pretty much always seem excited about their work in progress, and other people don't. If you're looking to find your motivation, or for ways to have more good days than bad days, this episode is for you. We know a lot these days about the fundamental sources of motivation, and better yet, we know that motivation is not a fixed asset. Today, I'll talk about why we write, what motivates us, and how you can increase your motivation by redesigning your motivational ecosystem. If you talk to a group of writers for more than a few minutes, it's almost certain that someone will bring up the question of motivation. All of us suffer from low M on occasion. We'll have days where we just don't have our mojo. Maybe we'll have weeks, uh, or a semester, or a year where we don't feel much motivation to write. I think it happens to everyone from time to time, but it's also true, I think, and I, I, most people who write can probably quickly think of the people like this, uh, we can all think of people who seem to be more motivated than others on average, uh, who produce more writing, who seem to be more consistently uh, happily busy with their writing. and. I don't think there's probably any one of us who writes who hasn't uh, asked ourselves, um, you know, geez, what what do they have? And because I'd like to order some, um, <laughs> because I would love to have uh, that level of motivation, uh, and maybe all the other things that come with the the results that that level of motivation has provided. So today's episode is all about motivation. You know what. Is it, where does it come from, and most importantly, how can we tap into it so we can have more of it? So I guess the way I would like to start this is with another quick exercise. So once I sort of lay this out, stop the podcast, take a few minutes, maybe five minutes, and write out um, your answer to one simple question. Why do you write? That's it, just one question, all right? Stop the podcast, write yourself a paragraph, take five, 10 minutes, whatever, maybe you're having a coffee, You could take half an hour. But just write a paragraph or so, all the reasons why do you write. Okay, now you're back. You have a list. And if you are like most people, um, maybe one of the following sorts of things might be on your list. Um, you write because you have fun Uh, Writing meaningful sentences on a piece of paper, Uh, or maybe you have a creative drive, or you like feeling like a writer, Uh, or maybe you are writing a book for the satisfaction of doing something hard, or maybe you're a writer because you enjoy the freedom, the autonomy that comes with the writing lifestyle. Uh, Maybe you write because it's a way to make money, Maybe you write um, because you like being well-known or you're seeking positive feedback from other people for your work, or maybe because you have work or school demands uh, and those demands are for you to write things. Um, There's a whole host of reasons, of course, that people write. Um, There can be short-term motivations, there can be long-term motivations. There can be project-specific motivations, uh, all kinds of motivations. Um, but when we, when we break it down, uh, commonly, of course, people will identify two broad types of motivation, extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. And, you know, quick recap, in case you're not following the psychology literature, extrinsic motivations are motivations from external Rewards, or in some cases punishments. Um, you know, you get money. That's an extrinsic motivation. You get kudos. That's an extrinsic motivation. Uh, you get, you know, fame or, or you know, something like that. That comes from outside. Um, somebody else pats you on the back. Those are external motivators. On the other hand, are intrinsic or internal motivations, and those are things like your own sense of delight or satisfaction with doing something, uh, your sense of identity, or some kind of drive you know, from inside uh, your person that sort of um, gets tickled when you do a thing. And in our case, we're talking, of course, about writing. So, so if you look back at your list, one of the questions that you might ask yourself is, what's the mix of internal and external uh, factors? in when you think about why do you write do you if you've had to circle sort of the one or two most important factors on the board are those intrinsic or are those extrinsic motivations and i'm not here to judge um you know that's i'm not saying there's a right kind of a motivation or a wrong kind of a motivation certainly there have to be as many kind of motivation fingerprints as there are writers but um it's also true that I think, as research shows, and I think most of us know, either because we've sort of read enough Oprah Magazine or you know, taken a psychology class or two or read some of the popular uh, nonfiction out there about these things, um, we probably all sort of sense what the research has pretty clearly shown, that as a power source for your life, intrinsic motivation is superior to extrinsic motivation. Um, you know, Not that any of us ever do almost anything for only one kind of motivation. Um, we, we get a basket of, of motivations with everything, I think. Um, but in terms of sort of the, what the fundamentally most important drivers of human behavior are, what drivers are most consistent, most powerful, most reliable, most renewable, most um, under our own control, those things are intrinsic. And I, I won't sort of go chapter and verse on the research, but, um, uh, and, and you'll see several times during this podcast that I've just consumed um, uh, Daniel Pink's book, Drive, um, and uh, which is all about motivation, of course. Um, uh, so I, I'll summarize his summary of the research here just to say that um, the research shows that people who have intrinsic, reasons for doing things, um, tend in general to be more likely to find flow in their work more often. They're more productive. They, say, get better grades if they're students. Uh, they apply for more patents if they're industrial scientists and engineers. Um, they're happier uh, and have greater levels of life satisfaction, engagement, and, and so on and so forth. So. In general, the research suggests that if we are looking for more motivation in our life, we should probably be looking at intrinsic motivation as opposed to extrinsic motivation, right? In other words, writing for money or writing for kudos might sound good. They might look good. It might look good when other people are getting those. We might say to ourselves, I want those too. But interestingly, it turns out that those kinds of carrots are not as motivating uh, as internal carrots, and so um, what? What Daniel Pink's book, which is very excellent, I, I certainly recommend it to you. I'll put a link uh, to it in the show notes. Um, but but Daniel Pink's book is essentially about how you know most, and it's focused on the world of, of work and, and businesses. So, so we're gonna have to port it over to our needs here. But um, but his summary of the is of the sort of emerging research um which to give it a name is called self-determination theory and it's and it's a reversal of the standard um vision of motivation as mostly about carrots and sticks so why do people do things in the old view of things which pink calls motivation 2.0 you can understand people's behavior by understanding what they get rewarded for and what they get punished for and you know the things you get rewarded for you do more of the things you get punished for you do less of well, that's you know a very basic rational actor kind of approach to understanding people. And it turns out to be mostly wrong. <laughs> Not to dunk on my economist brethren, um, but they understand all the unimportant things about how people behave. Uh, and psychologists, sociologists, and political scientists spend time on the other side of things where things are messier, but I think more important. Um, okay, dunking session over. Um, and the argument in the book is that motivation 3.0, the new understanding of motivation, is, is that our own drives are more important than uh, external motivations. Um, and, and, and this research gets wrapped up in something called self-determination theory uh, that says our motivations stem from our deep-seated desire to direct our own lives, to extend and expand our abilities, and to live a life of purpose. That sounds pretty good. It sounds very motivating. Those are all great things, um, and and the, the sort of the meat of the book and and something I think worth sort of spelling out here, so we can start talking eventually about how to raise our motivation levels. Um, he talks about three the three pillars of self determination theory, or or if you want the sort of three sort of fundamental sources of intrinsic motivation, and those are our desire for autonomy. Um, our desire for mastery and our desire for purpose—all three of which were embedded, obviously, in the sentence I, I just read—and uh, let me just, you know, briefly explain each of those. So when we talk later about how to strategies for building our motivation, uh, those strategies kind of make sense. I'm going to ground them in these in these concepts. So on autonomy, that's pretty straightforward. Um, I'm sure we can all think of times. Um, Uh, that exemplify this sort of rule. You know, bottom line is um, we tend to be much more motivated by our own interest in learning about the world, in fixing things and figuring things out uh, than we are if someone else tells us to do it. Uh, It turns out if you try to pay someone to invent something, they're gonna do a much worse job than if you just set them free and say, hey, Take some time and see what you invent, right? Um, when, when you do things on your own, your motivation level uh, is is on average just higher. And, you know, I can really resonate with that uh, part of the book because, you know, when I think back to my own school uh, experience and writing in particular, um, you know, did you ever have fun writing a paper for junior high or high school? I didn't. <laughs> and And why was that? Well, one good argument would be that it violated my autonomy pretty seriously. I had to go to school, which I didn't like. I had to sit in classes, which I didn't like. Um, And they made us do assignments, which nobody wanted to do. And on top of that, um, they didn't give you any room for um, sort of writing your own stuff. You had to write on the exact book, on the same topic, in roughly the same kind of a way. I never had very much fun writing those things. I was very unmotivated by those things, my school generally, but I'm thinking about the writing in particular. I didn't have much fun writing that stuff. Um, and, you know, that persisted through, I would say, most of college. In college, there were occasional opportunities to write things for extra credit where they sort of just let you roam. Um, I had more fun writing those sorts of things. Then you get to graduate school and, um, you know, you're under the gun and you're still, again, sometimes taping, taking courses that maybe aren't all Up your alley so maybe they're not that much fun all the papers but but over graduate school slowly slowly your autonomy rises it's up to you what to write about it's up to you how to write it it's up to you to figure out what to read uh, and so on and then once you're finally done with exams and it's your dissertation now it's all you nobody cares what you write about nobody cares how you do it um you know has to be a certain quality level but this is your project finally And boy, my autonomy levels shot through the roof at that point, which of course was terrifying, but it was intoxicating at the same time. And I think, you know, compared to all other writing that had been um, sort of pushed down from above, um, you know, my motivation level to finish my dissertation was certainly much higher. Uh, My interest level, my sort of day-to-day enthusiasm about getting that stuff written was much, much higher than it ever had been for something somebody assigned me. And so, you know, in your own life, I'm sure you can probably, um, you know, make that kind of comparison. Compare something that somebody made you write in a certain way, certain dictates, parameters, deadlines, timelines, whatever, um, and and then compare it to something where you had full, you know, uh, reign to do whatever, you know, it was you wanted, however you wanted. Um, really, not much comparison there. So, so autonomy is. So, you know, being able to be autonomous is to be able to tap into your core motivations, maybe your essential motivations, whatever those might be. So being an autonomous actor is key. The second pillar of self-determination theory is mastery, this idea that, you um, and I'm going to share a great quote from W. H. Auden in in the newsletter um, about this, but um, it, it, in this chapter, Pink sort of borrows heavily from the concept of flow, and that is, you know, this discovery that, and I won't pretend to pronounce the guy's name, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. What? I, I'm tired. I tried. I failed. Um, but anyways, this idea that flow that um that trance that sort of you know losing time that feeling completely engaged um and and just you know incredibly um you know sort of like revved up around some task that painters and writers and athletes get into when they're in the middle of doing their thing and and you know that being able to get into that flow is um um a source of motivation if you have a day where you are able to find flow where where your life is set up that flow happens regularly and easily that's a very motivating situation whereas if you are not allowed to do the things you're good at if you are frustrated from uh, being able to get into flow uh, that's that's a very demotivating situation so that's another good one where i think you know that's pretty easy to see uh you know the application to to my own life i i love nothing more than a afternoon without anything else in it where i can sit down at my desk and i will look up and it is time to go and i'm like wait a minute where'd the afternoon go i have my books i have my notes i have my laptop um i have no idea what just happened um except i got a ton of things done but like i didn't know where the time went and and so i think that notion of of mastery that when you when what you need to do is matched by your ability to do it. And of course, as you um, as you practice, as you get into flow on a repeated basis, you get better at things and that feels awesome and that in itself is also motivating. So this notion of, of mastery or competence, I think maybe even, right, is, is a big one for motivation. If you're continually asked to do things that you can't do, that is demobilizing. Um, and then the last is purpose, and um, you know this one I've talked about to some extent um, in various episodes about vision, and and I'm a huge believer in the importance of vision, and I think um, uh, that the research again here shows pretty clearly that people who have a sense of purpose are happier and tend to be more uh, happily productive than people who have non-purposive goals, um, instrumental only or or extrinsic sort of monetary goals. Uh, You know, we all have some monetary goals, don't get me wrong, um, but those can only take you so far. And and in fact, there's been interesting research that shows, there was a study uh, that Pink cites done of graduating college students, and they took kind of a baseline, how are you feeling, life satisfaction, that sort of stuff, and then they asked these people, what are your main goals for the next few years? And some of them had sort of purpose goals, some of them had monetary goals. Then they followed up a couple of years later. How are you doing? Are you reaching your goals? Um, and how are you feeling? And what was interesting is that the purpose goal identifying students were happier. Um, and um, but what was fascinating is that even the students with monetary goals who had met their goals. Not only weren't they happier, but they were actually less happy than they had been in college. And so it raises a really interesting question about the purpose motivation, which is, you know, okay, purpose is motivating. Um, but but some things, even when we get them, uh, don't turn out to be good for us, which is interesting, right? And I think that is... That's a hard one because we're motivated by money. All of us are. We have to be unless we're independently, you know, wealthy or something. So you have to be motivated by money. But I think the the, the caveat or the red flag is if you let money be your primary driver, if you if you let it be the primary source of your motivation, even when you get the money, it's not going to do what you hoped it would do. And so I think that gives us some. Some thoughts about how to go about mm, designing our, our world, um, our, you know, our motivational sort of sources, our, our, our basket of motivations. It tells us something about how to organize and prioritize our motivations, I think, um, that we should probably pay attention to. So autonomy, sort of doing your own thing uh, as opposed to doing things that other people are telling you in the way that you want to, as opposed to how other people are telling you. Autonomy is a big one. This notion of mastery or competence, doing what you are good at, um, and getting into flow, being critical sources of motivation—mastery or competence—and then purpose. So I think those are all pretty fundamental. I don't think I would argue too much with those. Uh, But as I mentioned, Pink is pretty heavily focused on selling books to the sort of corporate world and managers and leaders in, in that world, and. So he doesn't really, he's not really speaking directly to writers, for sure, uh, or creators in general. And for writers and creatives, I think you have to add in at least two things, maybe a few more. If I thought about it longer, uh, I will do that. But for now, I want to just mention two. And the first is um, creativity or creative spirit, creative juice, I don't know what it is. Um, but I think many people who write are simply driven by a desire to create beautiful things or to create meaningful things. Um, you know, some people um, write stories because they just have stories pouring out of them. I I, I know people like this. I mean, I, I have, you know, I have a cousin who's been telling stories um, that all could have been published since he was a, a teen, young teenager. I mean, just, you know, riding on a car trip and the dude spouts, you know, incredible stories. Um, those people, I think they just, their motivation is incredibly intrinsic. And it's it's just a sort of, need to tell stories Uh, for people who are fiction writers i think other people are driven to tell about you know report about the nature of the universe to other people I, i think you know scientists journalists professors many of these people are driven to write the words they do because they they just feel a need for those things to exist right and i don't think you can capture those under the autonomy mastery or or purpose right i don't think i don't think i mean you can connect creating beauty or creating you know good journalism or to, to a higher purpose absolutely you can but I don't I have a sense for, for a lot of those folks that's not actually the primary motivation that's a nice add-on but the real reason they do it is because they can't stop doing it they, they, they love doing it people who paint I think a lot of times painters the same sort of thing and then a, a second one I'd like to add to pink's list is identity um, and that is I think that a lot of people who write um, really love the idea of being a writer um, and being part of that tribe. And I do think that's separate from those things, autonomy, mastery, or purpose. Um, I think it's different from the creative sort of a thing. Um, But it's sort of, I think we all have a need for belonging uh, in various ways, of course, families, tribes, whatever, regions, states, countries. I mean, we all have different levels of, of need for those things, but I think all of us have some uh, sort of tribal belonging needs. And I sense with a lot of people in writing and creative, creative professions that those identities are very important to them. Um, professors are really big into being professors, scientists very big into being scientists, and, and so on. And so I think one of the things that drives people to write is because that's what people like me do. And I think it's distinct from some of those other uh, things. It's also obviously an intrinsic... Um, motivation um and so I, I think that sort of deserves to be one of the one of the pillars i guess of 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 the theory at least if we're pointing it at writers in particular so with this kind of framework in hand right that we are we're sort of thinking of our basket of of motivating factors the intrinsic ones the extrinsic ones we're mindful that intrinsic motivations are probably the sturdier the more renewable the more reliable the more powerful motivators um, we've we've talked about some of the sort of the fundamental sources of intrinsic motivation um, tapping into uh, our need for autonomy our desire for autonomy our desire for competence and mastery our desire to live with purpose our own creative spirits and our sense of identity our desire to belong to different groups Right, so, so with those things in hand, I think it, we're almost ready now to start talking about ways to, to tap into your most powerful motivating factors. But, but first I want to add in one, one more concept, which is the mo- motivational ecosystem um, that you live in. And what I mean by motivational ecosystem is um, that, you know, I, I mean sort of the, the combination of different factors in your life that promote and inhibit your motivation. And so I, I the way I've sort of currently got it designed in my head is that your motivational ecosystem has five layers. And it, I guess we should just use a pyramid because the bottom layer is fundamental and then they kind of percolate upward and the lower layers um, influence the ones above them. And so uh, let me just describe what I mean by this. And I think you'll be able to see pretty pretty clearly what I'm talking about. So at the bottom of the pyramid is what I would call your genetic motivation level. Um, and, and the question you would ask yourself, and so, okay, to go along with this, So, while I'm describing the motivational ecosystem, you, you can ask yourself five questions um, and, and give yourself a score on a, on a zero to 10 scale. And that will be your current motivation level right? Measuring your motivational ecosystem. Just today, we're going to see what we can do to to raise that number. Uh, Or maybe you're going to find out, my gosh, it's already very high. I don't really need to worry about that. Okay. So the bottom layer is what I think of as your genetic motivation level. And the question you ask yourself here is something like, you know, what is your sort of, you know, how enthusiastic are you in general about pursuing life endeavors, right? I mean, some people... Are just busy, 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 motivated people. They're always on fire, right? I don't. They're just born that way. I'm sorry. Nothing we can do about it, right? This is one. This is one of those where, um, you know, it, it's 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 uh, luck of the draw, right? Um, but there's no question. There's no question that that layer influences that person's ability to be motivated at any given moment, right? So, so that's we'll start there, and then the second layer is uh, sort of what I think of as your aspirational vision layer, or your purpose layer, maybe you might say. And the question you might ask yourself regarding that layer is, how motivated are you to pursue your long-term vision and goals, or whatever those might be, all right? And then the third layer above that one is what I think of as your current life, or maybe you know, life slash job circumstances. And the question here would be, how motivated are you to pursue your current path in life and work? Um, And, you know, obviously, you know, so let me back up a second, right, on the the vision thing, right, if you have a compelling vision that is, you know, really exciting to you, you're gonna be relatively more motivated. If you don't have a vision, um, you're probably not gonna be so motivated. Right. And 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 that's a long term thing. Right. That's a that's kind of a core motivational, you know, input uh, or or like a third rail that if you if you grab on to a powerful aspirational vision, it's going to give you energy throughout all your projects throughout life. Right. And then then moving up a level um, to your sort of current circumstances. Right. I mean, your aspirational vision is for later, but you live today. And so. We can also think of the factors of your daily life as promoting or inhibiting motivation. So, so then the question, as I said, for that one is, you know, how motivated are you to pursue your current path? And you know, if if there's a good fit for you, if you're happy, you know, you're, there's a good fit between uh, you know where you want to go and where you're heading right now. That's probably motivating. If it's a bad fit, if you're not aligned with where you really want to go, if you're trapped in a job you hate, if you're trapped in a relationship that's not working, those things are gonna be demotivating, right? And then moving up to the fourth layer, and, and you'll see that we're getting from sort of long-term to more specific, in general, to more and more specific as we go up the pyramid. And so the fourth layer is your current project, yeah? your current writing project. And the question to ask yourself here is, how motivated are you to work and finish this, to work on and finish this current work in progress? And again, you know, we can think of a bunch of things that are probably um, promoting a motivation in those if if that project is is aligned with your vision, if it's aligned with your sort of goals, if it's aligned with you know um, you know if if it stokes your sense of autonomy if you're being able to do it in autonomous fashion, if it's um, something that you have um, the competence to do and and that you're able to get in flow. And if you feel like, you know, like, again, the purpose, it it aligns with your vision and and so on, right? Um, That's probably motivating. And if it doesn't have those things, on the other hand, probably there could be things that are uh, inhibiting. And then finally, right? And this is funny because this is where I think we most often have the conversation about motivation. And that's the daily level, which is how motivated are you feeling today? And... There are so many different factors that influence the answer to that question, right? So, so one thing I you know, said is that, so you know, we, we went from the bottom, which is the most fundamental and the harder to change things and the more general. And as we moved up the pyramid, we got more specific, um, uh, e- easier to change in a sense, and, and more variable also, right? Your genetics aren't gonna change. Your aspirational, aspirational vision will change sometimes. Your current life and job circumstances will change from time to time. Your current project will change quite often. And daily, uh, yep, changes every day. And so, you know, the number of different factors that might go into your day-to-day motivation level, you know, did you get any sleep? Uh, you know, did you have a fight with your spouse? Did you have enough coffee? Are you prepared to write today? Are you, you know, getting enough exercise? Do you feel good about yourself? Or, you know, all those things. Um, those things go up and down and up and down and up and down. Um, but but in general, if you've got a clear and compelling vision, right, those things are just going to be kind of epiphenomenal. They're going to come and go, but they're not going to, they're going to influence you up and down from a pretty high baseline of motivation. But if you don't have a strong vision, if you're not happy in your life, then no matter how great the current project you have in front of you might be, your motivation is going to be bouncing around from a relatively low baseline because you haven't got your motivational ecosystem in it in a healthy place and so um, now let's talk about strategies to tap into or build our motivation and and my general argument here is that what we're trying to do is is you know redesign or reshape our um, motivational ecosystem in order to create the conditions that will let you tap into your most essential and powerful motivating factors while minimizing the influence of the factors that inhibit your motivation, right? We're trying to keep the highs high and keep the lows low. So, um, but I think the reason I find the sort of the ecosystem model helpful is because instead of just trying to come up with sort of a random bunch of thoughts about, hey, how do I, I need more motivation, where do I get it, right, I think you know, and you'll know if you've listened to my podcast for a while, I'm a very block and tackle person. I like scaffolds, I like recipes and formulas because they help us think harder and deeper about our, our problems we're trying to solve. And in this case, I am convinced that a healthy sense of motivation is not, it, it should not be something that you are held captive by, did you have a good day or not, right? That's, if you had a, a, a bad day, everyone has a bad day. If you had 10 bad days in a row, okay, that could happen once in a while. But if you had a bad month, if you had a bad semester, if you had a down year, it's time to do an audit of your ecosystem. It's time to ask yourself those five questions. And on any of those where you're not a seven, eight, nine, or a 10, or maybe let's say not anywhere south of an eight, you should be asking yourself, can I do something on this level of my ecosystem to help the promoters and to weaken the inhibitors. So let's, just for example, right? And unless you can get a DNA change, you can't do anything about the bottom level, your genetic sort of baseline level. But I will actually say there's one thing that occurs to me that you can do on that level as well. And that is to stop comparing yourself to the most crazy motivated people on the planet. When you know we watch TV, we see these crazy great athletes. We see these incredibly talented or you know achieve, achievement oriented celebrities and politicians and people who you know business people who own seventy three companies and have ten billion dollars. It doesn't do you any good. It doesn't motivate you um, to feel bad that you're not as motivated as as those folks. Right? We we are we don't get to choose the DNA we were dealt. All we can do is choose what to do with that DNA. So let's all agree to compare ourselves to ourselves only. Okay, so that's the one, that's the big strategy for that level. So don't inhibit your motivation by imagining that you're not good enough, step one. Or step two, aspirational vision, right? So, um, you know, the simplest thing here, and I think the thing that many people will be able to do that will help a lot, is simply to clarify their long-term vision. I think that you get A huge boost to every day if you know that where you're headed is a happy incredibly exciting place if you know that the work you're doing every day is slowly but surely taking you where you want to go man it's hard not to giggle while you work that's going to be so good for your motivation so you know i have episodes on that so i certainly encourage you to dive into those You know, read Martha Beck, whatever you need to do, find yourself an aspirational vision that will act like a motivation tractor beam and and your whole being will be motivated by this. Okay, so that's sort of a a piece right there. Um, Current life and job circumstances level, right? Now, if you have a great vision, but you're trapped in a job that's killing your spirit, um, then guess what? Uh, <laughs> you, you've identified a key demotivator, um, something's got to change, right? If there, are, if there are factors in your current job and life that are destroying your sense of autonomy, that are preventing you from, um, from using and practicing the things that you're competent and love doing, if there are things that stifle your creative spirit that don't allow you to be identified, right? To be the person you want to be, then man you got to think hard about whether you need to make some changes right and and i'm not saying that getting more motivation is easy i don't think it is frankly i think it can be hard but i think the point here is that and and it doesn't have to be overnight right motivation overhaul is a long term process right building the vision that really fits you can be time consuming could take a while you might not might not be clear to you yet especially if you're a younger person right especially if you're a person in middle age hitting a crisis where you don't know what's next, right? You've run out of road on the road you're on. You're like, nope, that's not getting me there anymore. I thought I had the answers. I'm really lost. It can take years. I'm not gonna lie. It can take years to find that, but it is so much worth it to do it, right? It's worth that work. Um, And then, okay, current project, right? So now we're getting to things that are easier to change, um, but not just as critical to change, right? I mean again here you know i i tell my students every graduate student who comes to work with me and they're trying to figure out a project for their dissertation the tendency the, the very strong tendency for graduate students who have been socialized um, in a system that um, really rewards very obviously the most famous heavily cited scholars working on the hot problems and so on and so forth and all of the students want to work on one of those hot problems The problem is many of them are not interested intrinsically in those problems. They are interested because they think other people are interested. And so I try to give them all the evil eye and I say, look, do not write a dissertation because you think other people are interested in the topic. Don't write it because I'm interested in the topic. Only write about it if you are interested in the topic right and if it's not enough to keep you up at night if it's not enough to get you up in the morning if it's not enough to keep your butt in a chair in a library all by yourself all weekend it is the wrong topic right and so the same thing goes with uh folks who are writing fiction or you know for whatever like i you know why are you writing this this work why are you writing in this genre right if what you want to write is fantasy don't write romance because you think it sells better, right? Don't follow the money, right? Don't, don't. you know, we can use these notions of um, autonomy, mastery and purpose, right, to, to help guide our uh, redesign, right? If you are not very motivated by your current project because it's being dictated by someone else, see if you can negotiate more autonomy. If, if you're having less fun because you're writing for money um, in an area where you don't feel any interest, any love, stop. <laughs> maybe you can't afford to stop, but guess what? Start looking for something that pays you to do something you like. <laughs> or, or maybe better yet, that pays you to do something for something that isn't writing so it doesn't kill your writing spirit uh, while you're making money. Right? So, And again, I, I, I see this all the time in academia, people writing sequen- you know, sequels to things that were popular that they wrote because they know it's going to be an easy hit kind of like Hollywood does, but something that they're so bored with that they couldn't even have one bit of interest in, you know, if they tried. Uh, they're so unmotivated, right? Um, when when you find that this thing's been on your desk for six months, eight months, a year, two years, it's time to cut that one off and say, you know what, I thought I was gonna write that. It seemed like a good idea at the time, but I'm I'm gonna destroy my motivation if I don't work on something that intrinsically actually motivates me it's just sometimes it's a price you got to pay and toss out with the old, in with the new. And then on the day-to-day basis, I think here's the thing, if you take care of those first four layers, first, the the three that you can really do something about in particular, the vision, uh, designing your, shaping your life and job circumstances and and picking projects that really um, tap into your intrinsic motivations, you're gonna have a lot less trouble day to day being motivated. Th- those things are gonna be strong, strong wind at your back. And then the last piece, the daily motivation, right? And you know, this is non-trivial. So just cause you have that wind at your back, it's still, okay. it's still hard to be motivated every day, especially if you're hitting a hard spot in a manuscript. Um, you know, you've been doing the same stuff for a while, whatever it might be. Right there, I think you know, we can we have to rely on other tools to help when the motivation flags. Sometimes we need to rely on our writing routines because we're not always motivated. Um, But again, I think um, in in addition, I think um, our our bodies are part of our motivational ecosystem. I don't really have that on there (laughs) anywhere, but maybe it's part genetic, right? Some people wake up in a good mood every day, some people don't. Um, But I think you know, doing the things that help you. Be at your best, just in general, your happiest mood, your best mood, your most, you know, equanimable mood, um, whatever those things are for you. For me, I have to get good sleep, I have to be exercising, I have to eat right, and I need my coffee in the morning, and then I'm ready to have. A, then I feel my motivation. I can tap into my motivation. If I'm if I'm bleary, if I if I didn't eat right, if I don't have coffee, then I, I can't find my mojo right i remember (laughs) remembering diane keaton from annie hall she's on the phone what's my motivation you know like like uh um you know i can't find it sometimes if i'm not feeling right Um, so i'm a big believer in in sort of that you know live the way that makes you feel right because when you feel right you can be a tap into those more fundamental layers of your motivation okay covered a lot of ground so we all want to be motivated we all look around and see people who are motivated and go, yep, that looks great. I want what they've got. And what they have probably is a powerful set of intrinsic motivations. Uh, They have a motivational ecosystem that is well-designed, that is sort of maximizing the impact of things that are promoting motivation, and they are minimizing the impact of things that inhibit motivation. And this ecosystem encompasses sort of our genetic kind of juice level. It includes our aspirational vision, the motivation that comes from long-term purpose and vision. It includes our current life and job circumstances, which certainly can either promote or inhibit our our sense of autonomy, mastery, purpose. It includes our current projects, which we can either be really excited about or really not so excited about. And then, of course, includes our daily sort of feelings about life and the work in front of us on the desk. So I encourage you to do an audit of your motivational ecosystem. I encourage you to email me at hello at getyourwritingdone.com and tell me how this went and what strategies you're taking to boost uh, your motivation as a writer. Um, And until next week, guys, happy writing.